That should be coming back on there. Hey, how about that? Okay, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 22. Do they not go astray who devise evil? But those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. And then to Matthew chapter 5. 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Then to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then finally, over to Titus, the third chapter. I love to hear the rustle of those uh, Bible pages. Not quite the same sound. You know, I wonder if you could download a sound from the internet so that when you're changing pages on your phone, Bible, it makes that sound. That would be kind of cool. Anyway, uh, Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on those things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works." These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. God bless to us this reading from his holy word. I was recently reading a story about a man who had become a a billionaire uh, for a company 
that he developed, I think it might have been an online company a number of years ago, and decided that before he died, he was going to give away all of his money. And so quietly set about giving away his money uh, until uh, finally it was reported uh, a number of weeks ago that he'd given away uh, the last few million dollars that he had uh, to a university and just left himself enough to live on. He's in his 80s now, just left himself enough to live on for the remainder of his life uh, and a little flat to live in. And it's really cool when you hear these stories. And, and certainly we've heard a lot of stories over the, the last number of years about very wealthy people very publicly saying, I'm going to give away all my money or I'm going to do all of these good things. And we celebrate that. I mean, we really rejoice in, uh, in those kinds of contributions to society. But what about smaller good works that people do? The good works that people do on a day-by-day basis. You know, are those important? How important are they? I mean, after all, when you think about things like preaching the word, I mean, historically, Christians have said preaching the word is a very important activity. It's a good work that especially preachers should do, but all people should be able to proclaim the word. I mean, even evangelizing is really about just proclaiming that Jesus is alive. You know, so, so but what about that? You know, it, that's an important work, but You know, is it, what about that compared to something like, say, shoveling snow for an old woman? I mean, certainly we would say that perhaps preaching is more important. It's a more public thing. Seems to affect a lot more lives than maybe shoveling snow for an old woman. But is that really true? Many of you have been around for a couple years. You know that when my mom passed away, Uh, a few years ago, I met with a young man named Daniel who had for years uh, shoveled her snow in the wintertime, helped cut her grass in the summertime, uh, would come up on a weekly basis to take her rubbish bins out to the street because he had to walk up a little hill and the the bins were quite heavy. And he looked after her uh, on a regular basis. And, uh, And he had actually had a dream. Now, why this is important. He'd actually had a dream, and in this dream, he saw himself, the dream happened over five nights, he saw himself walking up to a house uh, with a snow shovel, uh, knocking on the door, uh, and there was somebody in the house that needed his help, and he knocked on the door, and this woman opened the door, and he wake up. And uh, I think it was after about five days of having that dream, uh, there had been a snowfall in, in our city, and he was walking around looking for some work uh, and happened to walk up to a house and all of a sudden began to recognize the house as the house from his dream, knocked on the door, and when the woman opened the door, that was the woman in his dream. And that was my mother. Now why this is important is that before I came to the United Kingdom, I had an argument with God uh, about this because as the eldest son, I have responsibility toward my old, old aging parents, both of which have gone to be with the Lord now. And, uh, and I told God, I said, God, I will stay in London preaching your word as long as you take care of my parents. And there were a lot of things that uh, I, I mentioned with, to God. Uh, there was about uh, 10 different things, the requirements I put before God. And God met every single one of those requirements and supernaturally brought this man into my mom's life so he could help care for her and meet what he promised me he would do. 
And so in a sense, if he'd never shoveled snow from my mother's driveway, I would never have stayed to preach the gospel and see all the things happening. Or I think about uh, the guy back, uh, uh, a man that I knew named Bert, who uh, gave an 18-year-old young man who had acknowledged his call to go into ministry, gave him a gift of $500. It wasn't a lot of money then. It's not a lot of money now. Gave him a gift of $500. And that shaped that young man's perception about how he must take good financial care of everybody else's resources, resources that they would give to honor the Lord. And that was me, as you might figure out. That young man was me. And that $500, the outcome of that is that I've always sought to conduct my affairs with financial integrity. And I've always sought to safeguard every penny that people in the church contribute to make sure that it goes to things that advance the kingdom of God. These are little things that we do, little good works that we do on a day-by-day basis, and you never know how they influence people. How many times have we heard stories about uh, people from a church who might uh, do something nice for an older woman in the community, only to have that older woman's children find out about it, and then they start to investigate the gospel of Jesus, and they come to Jesus because of those little works, those little good works. And oftentimes we get this mindset that we praise and honor the big things, we, we celebrate the big things, we celebrate those very public contributions, and in a very subtle way sometimes they cause us to dishonor the smaller contributions that we make as Christians, the good works that we do on a day-by-day basis in our communities, in our workplaces, in the church, and in our lives. Somebody has tried to estimate the uh, uh, amount of uh, uh, volunteer time that people put in, and it actually runs in the billions and billions and billions of pounds on an annual basis, the, the value of the good works that are done by Christians, just done by Christians. So good works are absolutely important for us if we are to live the good life. In fact, it is impossible to live the good life without doing good works. It's impossible to live the good life without doing good works. And these passages here today uh, are talking about doing good works. And if we are to live the good life, we must do so by doing good works. But what are good works? Uh, What are good works? Well, if you look at Titus chapter 3, verse 8, he talks about uh, these things are excellent and profitable for people. So I'll give you a definition. Good works are activities and actions that honor God and benefit people. Actions, activities that honor God and benefit people. That's a twofold requirement for a good work. Uh, Now, how do we know what honors God? What honors God is that which is consistent with the Bible as God's word and that which glorifies Jesus. That's what honors God. Now, John tells us that if if you want to know what love is, love is to obey God and follow his commandments. 
To love God and follow his commandments is what love is all about. And so honoring God, doing what is in the Bible, evaluating our actions by what is in the Bible, and doing things to bring glory and honor to Jesus, to point people to Jesus, those are good works. Those are things that honor God. And if it doesn't honor God and point people to Jesus, then we have to question, are they really good works? Are they works that that build us up? I've seen this happen a lot of times in churches and things like that, that people will do things that are very obvious. They, they, they want to be acknowledged. They want to be out on the front. They want people to, to say, wow, that's really great. Oh, wow, you're really contributing a lot. Oh, wow, you're giving a lot of money. You know, these kinds of things. And they want to feel good about that. And they want other people to acknowledge it and build them up. But if you do that, you're not honoring God and you're not pointing to Jesus. You're pointing to yourself. And that work that you're doing that might seem to be good is not really a good work uh, as might be defined in the Bible. So we really have to be looking at the scripture. And then how do we know what is beneficial? How do you know what is really going to benefit people? I mean, there's so many ways to, to look at that. And I'd like to offer you two tools to help you to decide what is really going to be excellent, what is really going to benefit people. The first is to think through the five questions or criteria of that which benefits people. First of all, is it economically beneficial? Now, if you go into irresponsible levels of debt in order to have something, it's not really economically beneficial. Now, is it benefiting, is it good in terms of the resources that we have, a wise investment of our resources? A second question, is it socially beneficial? Is it helping improve relationships? Is it helping improve society? Uh, A third question might be, is it environmentally beneficial? Not only is it green, as we might say, but also, does it add something to the spiritual environment around us? Because everywhere we go, there's a spiritual environment, and the things you do and the things you say have an impact in that spiritual environment. They have a power in the spiritual environment. So is it environmentally beneficial? Is it personally beneficial? Is this something that's really helping people? Is it meeting those cases of urgent need that Paul talked about here at the end of the passage? Uh, Does it help people take responsibility? You know, some people are so wanting to help other people that they violate the responsibility that other people need to take for themselves. Now, for example, we can try to rescue people. Maybe they're sick, and we want to go and rescue them and and heal them. But you know what the scripture says? Is anyone sick? Call the elders and be prayed for. Take some responsibility for that. So is it personally beneficial? Is it spiritually beneficial? Is it something that produces good morals? Is it something that, uh, that gives glory to God? And so we can know if it's beneficial. Or we can just apply the scripture here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And so Philippians 4 uh, Uh, 8 and 9 there, give us a grid, a framework by which we can begin to decide is something genuinely beneficial. So a good work is that which honors God, 
and benefits people. It honors God and it benefits people. And that is a good work. That's our definition. Now, the question comes, though, how is it really possible or is it really possible for us to do works that are really good? You know, considering how sinful and broken and messed up we are. I mean, there's a lot of brokenness in the world. There's a lot of twistedness in the world. There's a lot of sin in the world. And we as Christians even have been, uh, have been touched by the power of sin. We've been corrupted by the power of sin. It certainly affects us. The, the brokenness that's in the world around us, what the Bible calls iniquity, is something that influences our behavior. So in light of all of this, is it really possible for us to do good works? And thankfully, the scripture gives us an unequivocal yes. Notice what Titus says here in verses 4 to 7, or what Paul says to Titus in verses 4 to 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. In other words, when we talk about good works, we're not talking about anybody being saved by good works. You're not saved by good works. There's nothing you can do that's righteous enough for you to be saved. So not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, according to his grace, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the scripture here says that it is possible for us to do good works because God has saved us by his mercy. He's washed us. That means he's taken away the power of sin in our lives. It's no longer there. We've been regenerated. We've been reborn. Uh, There's a renewal that has come to us because of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. He's been poured out on us richly. We don't have a little measure of the Holy Spirit. We have a lot of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's poured out on us. And we are justified by his grace. We are declared not guilty by the grace of God. And we are heirs of hope, uh, the hope of eternal life because of the promise of God. And this is all ours right now in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying effectively that we can do good works because we have been redeemed. We can do good works because we're new creations. We can do good works, not because of our own strength, not because of our own ability, but because Jesus has saved us and the Spirit has filled us and they empower us to do good works that honor God in accordance with the Bible and point people to Jesus while bringing benefit, genuine benefit to people. So our works don't save us, but it is possible for us to do good works. I mean, Paul says the same thing, or similar thing there, in Ephesians chapter 2. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So in other words, what Paul is saying is that not only has Jesus saved us, redeemed us, renewed us, filled us with the Spirit, but we've actually been recreated in Christ Jesus in order to do good works. The purpose of our life in Christ Jesus, according to Paul here, is that we would do good works. So not only is it possible, it's also part of our life purpose for us to do good works. That's our purpose. That's your purpose as a Christian to do these good works, to do these acts 
that honor God and benefit people. And God has given you the ability to do that by the power of his Holy Spirit. He has given you everything you need in order to make that happen. But at the same time, he tells us, you know, there are certain things we're going to have to avoid. He says there in in verses 9 to 11, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. I know a a church, a group of churches that uh, I've been working with for quite some time, uh, and uh, a group of people that I really, really love. But, you know, frankly, they've just about lost the entire uh, purpose and life of their movement because of this problem. They got caught up in controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. You know, how do we obey the Ten Commandments? Which of the Ten Commandments are still viable? You know, on and on and on. And it's taken life. And I remember when I first started working with this group, how vital and alive they were and how much good works they were doing and how many people were coming to faith in Christ. And then they got caught up in all these dissensions and, and discussions and divisions around this, and it completely disempowered them. One of the greatest dangers we face when we're talking about good works and doing good works as Christians is that we can get caught up in legalism. That we start to think, oh, well then I'm going to be better because I do certain good works or God's going to love me more because I follow the Ten Commandments in a certain way or I give more money or I do this, that, or the other thing. And that's not biblical. And actually, the irony is that the more legalistic we are, the less we will tend to do good works. I've seen this consistently. The more legalistic people are, the less they will tend to do good works. I know of another ministry I just came across in the United States because somebody pointed me toward it, uh, and I'm not going to refer to the ministry at all uh, and give you the name or anything like that, but one of the things that a couple of the people do, the leaders of this ministry, is they travel around to big churches that they don't like, and they start to pass out tracts and things to people, tell them about how bad the church is that they're going to, And then they film when somebody comes out to correct them and ask them to stop. They film it and they make it seem like they're the victims and that the church is the wrongdoer. Now that's that's wrong. That is just plain wrong. And there's no mention of what the godliness that they're doing. There's no mention of actually doing good works. And I can't help but think if they spend as much time talking to people who don't know Jesus as they do spending time and energy undermining other churches just because they don't like some of the things that they do, that maybe more people would come to Jesus. And this is the kind of thing that Paul is talking about here. And then he goes on and he says, hey, and if there's somebody who stirs up division, warn him once and twice and then have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Not only there's legalism, but there's also division. And I've seen churches get caught up in, you know, how do we proclaim the gospel? You know, should we go out and hand out tracts? Should we have big events that we invite people in? Uh, Should we go out and pray for the sick and, and see them healed and then share Jesus with them? Should we go out and stand on a street corner and, uh, and call out the sin uh, of the age? 
Should we wait and do friendship evangelism, uh, person to person? Should we go door to door? Should we, should we do evangelism explosion? Well, I know which is a very ordered, focused way to do evangelism. Uh, should we do it this way or that way? Should we invite Billy Graham to come and do evangelism? Should we make evangelistic videos? Uh, and, and I have actually seen people get really, really caught up on this, and they start arguing about it. And, and the question is, it's not a division. It's everything. Paul said, I become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. So it's a waste of our time to say that we have to do it this way, that way, or the other way. Just get about doing it the way that God's put on your heart to do it. Because if you don't, you won't. If you don't just get out there and do it, then you will end up not doing good works. So, how does this happen? How do we need to do good works? A lot of times when we approach this, uh, it almost feels to me like sometimes people think, well, I'm just going to naturally go out there and I'll do whatever good works come to me. And that's okay. Uh, I mean, there's, uh, there's a, well, you know, there's a way of approaching things. Um, Like when I started dating Karen, I could have had the attitude well, you know, I'll, I'll just go out there and I'll just kind of hang around a little bit and, and maybe, you know, maybe I'll hope that she'll see me and fall in love with me and then uh, maybe we'll get married. You know, I didn't do that. You know what I did do? I asked her out on a date and then I kept asking her and then, then, then uh, uh, I persisted and persevered. I planned what I was going to do. You know, when I showed up to pick her up for a date, do you know that I knew in my mind where we were going? and how we were going to do it. And in the same way, I plan for how I'm going to save. If I want to buy a a car, I'm going to plan for how I'm going to do it. In other words, good works don't happen accidentally. And the text makes this very clear. And there are four ways here that the text that we read talk to us about how we go about doing good works. First of all, it's the one passage from Proverbs. The, the Solomon here says that we must devise good. Devise good. What does this mean? You must intentionally consider and plan the good you're going to do. It doesn't happen naturally. You should be thinking when you go to work in the morning, you should think, God, how can I plan to do good to my coworkers today? And start to think of ways that you can do good. It's not going to happen, most of the time, accidentally. You need to be intentional about it, and you need to plan the good that you're going to do. And then Paul adds on to this with Titus. And he says that not only must we devise good works, but we also must devote ourselves to good works. It's not enough just to plan it out, but you need to be devoted to doing it. You need to be committed to do good works and do this carefully, and you can commit yourself to doing good works until doing good works becomes second nature to you. You still have to plan it, but it will be a normal outgrowth of your life. And then Jesus tells us that we must boldly do our good works, that we need to let our light shine before people. So when you got good works to do, get out there and do them. Do it. 
Just do it. And then, Paul tells us in Ephesians, we must walk in the good works that God has prepared for us as the people God has created us to be. That walk is always a metaphor for live. In other words, Paul says that you need to live doing the good works because God has planned good works for you to do. Do you know that? Every single person, doesn't matter how strong a Christian you are, God has planned good works for you. You just need to persevere, press into God, and find out what those good works are. And the other thing that we can often miss in this verse from Ephesians is the phrase, we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you know the good works that God has planned for you to do are not the good works God has planned for me to do? A lot of times we get caught up because we think that everybody should be doing the same good works, especially if they're good works that we're, we're called to do. And I see this a lot in the church context. There's often a war between praying people and evangelizing people. You know, some people say, oh, we've got to be praying and and prayer is the primary thing. And other people say, well, evangelism is the primary thing. If we're not out evangelizing, we're not doing what we need to do. And other people say, well, the Bible talks more about prayer than it does evangelism, which is true. And, and, And there's this argument that goes back and forth. Well, actually, that's not the thing. God has brought us all together because some people are going to be focusing more on prayer. Some people will be focusing more on evangelism. That doesn't excuse praying people from evangelizing or evangelizing people from praying, but what it does mean is that we cooperate with one another, we work together because God has brought us together as a purpose. Because if we were all praying people, then we wouldn't do any evangelizing and we wouldn't see things change. So we have to do both. We're called to do that and we have been created uniquely by God for good works that he planned for us to do so that we could live them out, so that we could walk in them. And so part of your devising good works to do is discerning how God has created you in Christ Jesus and what good works you are capable of doing as the person God has created you to be in Christ. If you don't, then you'll try to do somebody else's good works. And I tell you, if you try to do somebody else's good works, they'll not be really good works. You've got to do the good works that God has created you in Christ Jesus to do. And as we do those good works, there are promises that these texts give us. The promises is that our lives will be fruitful. Our lives will matter as we're doing the good works. The promise is that we will meet steadfast love and faithfulness. That will be a characteristic of our life. And, as Jesus says, people will give glory to our Father in heaven for the good that we do. So we are called in living the good life to do good works. We're called to devise good works, to devote ourselves to good works. We are called to discern how God has created us for good works and then to boldly go out and do those good works, letting our light shine before men. The question for you this day is how you will let your light shine this week in doing good works that glorify God and benefit people. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the promise and the ability that we can do good works in Christ Jesus that you have prepared us for this very purpose. We love you for it, we praise you, and we worship you. 
and we give you thanks. Now I pray, Father, as we come to your table this day, that you'd be giving us revelation as to how to devise good works this week. That you would renew in us a passion to devote ourselves to good works. That you would enable us to discern how you have recreated us and planned good works for us to do. And that you'd help us to do those good works with boldness and faithfulness to the glory and honor of Jesus. And we thank you that as we come to the table, we remember that in Christ Jesus, you have redeemed us. You have recreated us. You have set us free from the power of sin, death, and hell. You have filled us with your Holy Spirit so that we might live for you and do good works that make us fruitful and bring glory and honor to your holy name. Lord, as we come to your table today, I pray that you'd stir us up to even greater love and good works and remind us yet again that we're not loved because of the good works that we do. We're loved because of Jesus, his death and resurrection. And that good works do not make us more righteous, more holy, more acceptable to you. Good works just enable us to live the good life and fulfill our destiny in Jesus. For this we give you thanks and praise. And we pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.